Great, so we're reading Galatians chapter 1 and we're going to read 11 through 24, the second half of the chapter. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not something that humans made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles... I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this week I met some uh, lovely uh, Buddhist ladies um, who have been very much uh, in re- involved in the response to uh, Grenfell Tower. And we talked about how brilliant it was that everyone just came together uh, in response and how we want to continue to do that. Interestingly, we then got on to the question of the differences between their faith and the Christian faith. I'd overheard them chanting. Uh, they'd spent an hour repeating uh, four words in Japanese over and over again. They had them printed out on this little card uh, with the explanation on the back that what they were trying to do was release inner energy. That's what they were trying to do. Um, I talked about it with them and uh, I explained that when Christians pray, we don't look into ourselves. um, We rather look to God, that he has the strength, the energy that we need and he loves to fill us up. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room who's had the experience of just being pretty desperate for something and uh, not really having words, but just praying something, basically help to God and knowing straight away that that prayer is heard and that God is uh, willing to help and wanting to help. Uh, There's no need to chant for an hour to sort of persuade him to. Or the experience maybe some of us have had and some of us maybe had in recent weeks or of a time in your life where you just couldn't find words to pray, you're just so overwhelmed with things and yet you're conscious that other people are praying for you and God is strengthening you. You haven't got any words but other people are praying and he's at work. So I think uh, with these ladies I, uh, we got as far as to agreeing that what we believe was different. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just say, um, hey folks, I've got a different message for, for the world, um, which you may find interesting, but if you don't, well, it's fine if you believe something else. He didn't have that approach at all. That's a very sort of contemporary approach, you know. It's a sort of menu of options. You choose the one you like the best or that fits best with you. But Jesus said, 
something very different, didn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He lovingly explains that he is the way to God. But I don't know about you, or, well, I do know a little bit about you, in that I experience the same things that most of us experience, that that feels like, whoa, quite a tricky thing to say to someone in this contemporary menu of options type culture to say to someone actually the Christian faith is is true not just true for me true for you true for because we were brought up that way but properly true with a capital T truth it's true for everyone so that everyone whether they're brought up as Buddhists or whatever they're brought up as should set aside their thoughts about God where they don't agree with Jesus and repent and come to him and put their faith in him. That feels like a challenge, doesn't it, to try and get that message across in our culture. What gives us the right to say that? And what gives us the right as a neighbourhood church in this community which tries to be evangelical based on what we say on the Bible, what gives us the right to say no to certain traditions that other churches larger than us have. No, not just because we, 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 don't, we don't like them, they're not, not, not our cup of tea, but no, because we say, actually, they're not helpful. They wouldn't be helpful for us. We don't think they're helpful for you and your church either. We think you should change. What gives us that right? That's the issue in Galatians. The differences that were already emerging in the first century about what happens when you meet. Paul had uh, come to Galatia. He'd come with the message of the gospel, free forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's what he preached in these towns in southern Turkey. He preached to them, you can be right with God with no law keeping, no rules, no regulations, no spiritual ladder to climb to God, nothing to do to earn it, nothing to do to pay him back. You just need to open your hands and receive his love and mercy and forgiveness in Christ. The grace that we've been singing about. That's what Paul preached. I mean, that's not an exact transcript, but that's the message that he was preaching that you can, you can discern as you read through Galatians and the other letters he wrote. But after he left... Some other teachers arrived from Jerusalem, don't you know? Oh gosh, they must be important. And they seemed that way to the Christians in Galatia. They came along and wanted to add to what Paul had taught. Again, we don't have a a, a gospel track from them, but uh, it was something along the lines of, um, well, you know that stuff that Paul told you? It sounded a bit too good to be true, didn't it? Free forgiveness, just grace, didn't need to work for it. Well, it was too good to be true. I'm afraid um, he left out the bit, didn't he, about obeying the Old Testament law? He he didn't go on about it. Well, oh gosh. We're finding that all around the place. Paul has gone and told people about Jesus. He hasn't told them that they need to keep the Old Testament law. Gosh. Well, sit down. We'll explain it all to you. That was their approach. And uh, possibly they were having a go at Paul along the way. Well, you know, I think the reason he left it out is a bit of a people pleaser we found in our travels. He, um, he probably didn't want to tell you the whole thing in case you didn't like it, in case you didn't like him. 
She just wants to be popular, you know. And so we get to uh, Paul's response, which we're going to pick up on. But last week we looked, didn't we, at the first verse, 10 verses. And let's pick up on verse 9, Paul's response. As we have already said, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And Paul reflects on what he's just said. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And there's more of that in what he says. And what Paul can see with real crystal clarity, if you flip over to chapter 2, we didn't read it, but we're going to reference it a little bit. Verse 5, he talks about the truth of the gospel being at stake. Uh, The verse before that, verse 4, he talks about freedom, our freedom in Christ, and what Christ wants for us is at stake, and possibly our salvation is at stake. And what Paul's writing in this whole section is quite sort of personal. It's about him and his experience. It's about his relationship with others. Um, And the reason he's going on about it is not because he's particularly bothered about his own reputation for its own sake. It's rather that, um, if you like, in teen gospel, God has picked people in different positions and Paul is a star striker. God has picked him to, to go out into the world, into all these communities that have never heard of uh, of Jesus before, uh, who, um, very few of whom are Jewish, and to explain to them the gospel of God, of, of grace, of salvation. And Paul, God's picked him for that position, but he's being attacked. The, uh, the other people are trying to foul him and kick him off the field. And so he's defending himself for the sake of others who've heard this gospel and been freed from their sin forever. And so he wants to protect them from the false gospel that adds to the gospel about Jesus and um, God's arranged for it to be written down as we've noticed Um, and the reason for that in God's plan is because you and I will be under pressure too to add to the simple message about Jesus we will be under pressure to leave behind the radicalness of freedom in Christ and to go to something more structured more traditional more understandable and so Paul is explaining here that Well, look at verse 11. This is not a human message. It's not something that people made up, he wants to say in verse 11. It's not a matter of of opinion. It's not a matter of working it out. It's not take it or leave it. It It doesn't come from people at all. It comes from God and it is proclaimed by people. And that's great news because it means you and I can know with confidence that we're forgiven, with confidence that we're free, confidence that will enable us to talk to others too because this is not just a nice idea, this is God's truth. And if you flip to the back of the handout, I forgot the early service as well that I'd written, uh, uh, done a little outline. Um, you'll see a, a couple of notes on those introductory things, the, the, the reference to the verse 11 as, as Paul's claiming, and then you'll see a, a bit of a structure for, for what happens here. Chapter 1, we know with certainty because this is revealed to Paul by Jesus himself. And then chapter 2, beginning of that, it's confirmed because Paul's message was recognised by Jesus' own disciples. It's revealed, it's recognised, so you and I and everyone around us can trust this message, this gospel. Let's look at the first of those. Revealed to Paul by Jesus. Look back with me again to verse 11. It says that it's not man-made, not made up. Uh, Verse 12, there's a couple of negatives there. 
didn't receive it from anyone, wasn't taught it. It's not human, but rather received it by revelation from Jesus. None of it was Paul's idea. It wasn't a career choice to become an apostle. It's rather, and we can read his story in Acts, that Jesus handpicked him to be a messenger, to be a star striker in the gospel team for the sake of the non-Jewish world. And that's all in Acts, the road to Damascus. I, I guess the evidence that Paul writes about here, that this is real, that it really is a revelation, is the change in his life. So, if you look to verse 14, before uh, Jesus uh, met with Paul, he was on the Pharisaical fast track, advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. And the real badge of honour that he wore is in verse 13. He was a persecutor of the church of God and trying to destroy it. That's his track record. Who are? Go Paul! His uh, contemporaries would have been yelling. But then on a journey to Damascus to do just that, to try and put people in prison for following Jesus, Jesus met him personally and stopped him in his tracks and turned his life around and sent him out with a very different mission. And if you look at what Paul reflects on, if you look at verse 15, he said, actually God had been preparing him for this for, the, for, for, for a very long time, since actually he was born. Actually God had been working things, so it got him to this point, and then the God who set him apart from birth called him by his grace and sent him out, and he found that he was the one that God had prepared to really get the gospel across to the Gentiles. But before that, he talks about his relationship with God. Verse 16. Look at, the, look at that to describe what it is to know God. That God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Gosh, isn't that a description of becoming a Christian? It's not just we know about Jesus, we know him. It's not just that we know him at, at a distance. That actually, he is in us by his Holy Spirit it's, it's a mystery and yet it's, it's true and it's real it's wonderful, it's intimate, it's personal and how appropriate for God to choose Paul of all people if you remember the heart of the gospel message we've been singing about it it's there it's in verse 3 and verse 15 the heart of it is God's grace and so God thinks how can I really show the world my grace I know, here you go Here's, a, here's the kind of lead persecutor of the church in his generation, in the first generation. I'll pick him to be a preacher of the gospel and turn his life around and that's how much grace I have. A guy who was trying to kill Christians goes out to preach and suffer whilst he's preaching. That turnaround, it had to be a revelation, didn't it? What else can explain that kind of turnaround? It's a real demonstration of the message of grace and the way it's so different from every religion, whether it's Buddhism or Islam or Judaism or anything else. It's also so different from the presumption of non-religious people that, well, if there is a God, he'll just accept everyone in the end, won't he? That's not grace. Grace is so profound. Grace is the holy God who hates sin, saying, I love you enough 
I'll come and take the penalty in your place. As we read last week in verse, right at the beginning of this letter in verse uh, 3 and 4, Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That's the God of grace. This message of his love is unlike any other religion or philosophy. It's revealed by God. Now, there's a second sense for you and for me that um, Christ has revealed himself to you or to me that, that we too have had Christ revealed in us. There's a wonderful and intimate and extraordinary experience that every Christian has. Uh, it's not, um, uh, that's not unique to Paul. Um, and we can talk about that in a sort of secondary witness kind of way. But this unique experience of Paul's is written down so this can also help us to have confidence and to talk about the gospel that actually got in his life. Jesus really showed his grace. In chapter 1, verse 1, sent him out as an apostle to the world, particularly to non-Jews, to Gentiles like us, which is in verse 16 or chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Of all the apostles, Paul, if we're not Jewish, is the one that Jesus chose to teach us. He's ours, or for us. And he's the one who will enable us to understand just how radical grace is. And actually, God gave him to the whole church for that purpose, as we'll find out next week in his um, stand-up row with Peter. But that's next week. This is revealed. And secondly, it's recognised by Peter's own disciples. Peter, uh, Jesus' own disciples, Peter and John are included, James too, uh, Jesus' brother. Uh, they're all names in what we read and in chapter 2, verse 9. And this is key. The fact it was recognised is key because it's all real well Paul staying up and standing up and saying, listen, Jesus revealed this to me directly. I didn't need anyone to approve the message. It came directly from God. And you're thinking, oh gosh, we've met some people like that in our lives, haven't we? Who just claim that they've got authority in spiritual matters. Trust me, I know about these things. Well, on what basis? On what basis are you saying that? I mean, what are you actually saying? Are you a bit of a maverick, Paul? As I think he was probably being accused of. And so on the one hand, Paul is saying, listen, I was picked by Jesus. I've got this message. It's there in the Old Testament. I can show you chapter and verse in the Old Testament. But on the other, he's saying, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching a different gospel than what Paul and Peter, uh, sorry, what Peter and John and James and the others were preaching, than what Jesus said. He's really concerned that in the first generation, the church should not end up getting split into two, like it has done, sadly, in subsequent generations. He's really concerned that there shouldn't be a Jewish church and a Gentile church, and they don't, kind of, don't really get on with each other, and they don't eat together, which, again, is next week, was starting to happen in some places. So he's concerned that they that they understand that there is only one gospel it's the gospel of Jesus which is preached by the different apostles and recognised by one apostle compared to another so let's uh, pick up the story again in chapter eight, 1, 1 verse 18 Paul had started preaching three years later was when he first popped into Jerusalem for a fortnight he didn't go there to sort of go to theological college and learn from the others he went there to get acquainted. Chapter 2 starts, it says, it was actually 14 years later 
that he went to try and sort of sort out everything and make sure they were on the, all on the same page. Uh, he was accompanied by two influential early Christians, Barnabas, a wonderful example of an encouraging Christian, a Jewish man who was converted, and uh, Titus, a Gentile, uh, but a wonderful living example of what God can do to change the heart of someone who grew up as a pagan. Verse 2 of chapter 2, they came in response to a revelation from God. So it wasn't a summons to appear before a tribunal. It was a private meeting, verse 2 carries on, with those who seemed to be leaders. Paul's very careful there with his choice of words. He says the same sort of phrase in uh, verse 6, those who seem to be important. He's saying, well... Actually, it doesn't really matter like, who the leader of a church is. It doesn't matter whether it's the Apostle Peter who's the leader of a church. What really matters is what does God say? Not what the humans say. And he's really conscious of that. Careful not to give too much credit to human leaders. But you can sense his relief in what he writes if you read on into chapter 2. If you get to verse 9 that he discovers they are all on the same page. And they give to Paul the right hand of fellowship, which, as far as I can tell, is not an early BAFTA, but it's rather a... He's just saying they gave him a ringing endorsement. I'm sure they were relieved too after some of the rumours they'd heard of Paul getting into trouble in different places for his preaching. And they found with joy that they were all preaching the same message. And they said, Paul, you go for it in the Gentile world. We'll carry on here in our centre in Jerusalem for the sake of the the Jews. Jesus' first disciples, Peter and John, recognise that Paul's message exactly matches what Jesus taught. And you see, that gives us great confidence. It's always been that way round in the church. It's always been that God reveals and people recognise It's the same with the written word, with the Bible. This book is not God's word because the church says so. It is God's word already, and the living church is, if we're sensible, recognise that. Do you see that way around? It's a bit like, um, I'm sure we've got everything already for tea and coffee, but sometimes we need biscuits at the end of the service. And it's a bit like running over to Baz at the end of the service four biscuits and pulling out the only thing you've got in your pocket, a £50 note. What's he going to do next? He's going to take it off you, he's going to scratch it and fold it, whatever you do. I don't know, has he got one of those UV lights under the counter? I think he might do actually, to see whether it kind of comes up and he wants to know, is this the genuine article? And he does all his tests and of course you've got it out the cash point and you think, yeah it is, yeah it is, I can buy the biscuits, brilliant, here's the change, off we go. All of his testing on it doesn't make it a genuine £50 note. It's rather he recognises that it's a genuine £50 note. It it is authorised to do what it says it's authorised to, namely be valuable for £50. And that's how it is with Peter and John and the others recognising Paul's gospel. It already was the word of God. And they recognised it. It's It's how the Bible's come about is that when they sat down with these councils and looked at all the documents they had available that had been circulating in the churches, that process of compiling them into uh, a collection that would become the Bible 
didn't give the Bible its authority. It simply said, oh, yeah, like that's a genuine 50. They said, oh, yeah, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, that's definitely the Word of God. And oh, those letters from Peter and John and James, and well, even Paul, even Paul, he's, he's the odd one out. He knows he's the odd one out uh, because he, he didn't spend those three years with Jesus. And yet, his words too. And you'll see in the reference that's there from 2 Peter, if you look that up, Peter says, um, Paul's writings, he says um, some of the things he writes are hard to understand. And you go, yeah, there they are. Uh, but he then says, they're hard to understand like the other scriptures. So he puts Paul's letters alongside the book of Exodus or the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, the other scriptures. They recognize that this is the word of God. And that's also why they ignored the things that Dan Brown loves to write about in his novels, uh, the Gnostic Gospels, because they were written a century later by people who'd never met Jesus. This is God's word. And therefore, we can have confidence. Do you see? You and I, how do you know you're forgiven? How do you know that? It's what we looked up the other week, if you remember, from 1 John, down the bottom on the left-hand side. Oh, in, this, in this version, 1 John chapter 1, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's written down for us. It's God's word. And that's why we know we're not just sort of kidding ourselves. It's actually real in our lives. How do you know that God has freed you by his grace to live in righteousness but not by religion? How do you know that? Because this man, Paul, was handpicked by Jesus to teach the church what it meant to be saved by grace. And actually, you can read that in Peter and John as well if you compare their letters. Check it out in the Gospels. Check it out in the Old Testament. And it means you can be totally sure. I can be totally sure. Not because we're clever or something like that. We know we're not. Not because we're sort of more moral than average. We know we're not. But because God, by his sheer grace, has shown us Jesus, and shown us it's all through him. And he's given us these apostles to write it down so we can know it for sure. That this is God's own truth. So you and I can have confidence ourselves, and you and I can have confidence with friends, with family, with people who are neighbours in the community, to say lovingly, gently, patiently, that Jesus is the way for all of us as we try and save uh, sorry, share the way that we are saved and others can be saved as we share the way that his grace sets us free. And so we do pray that we would be those kind of people. Lord, we ask that you'd help us, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd revitalize us by this message of grace. Free us, Lord, to be those people and to share that news with others. In Jesus' name, amen.